Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So we want to get into this new series, and I'm excited about this. We're going to start uh, looking at some things that maybe... Maybe we thought we believed or were in a certain place, but it's going to help clarify some things because how many know this, that when you pull something out of context, in fact, the name of this series is Out of Context, and we got a little tagline. It says this, any text out of context is a con. Got that from Jamie Englehart, which he'll be here again this year. But I like to say like this, any text out of context is just a con. How many know when we read scripture, we have to read it within context? It's great to pluck one out, put on a bumper sticker, on a t-shirt, you know, and feel really good about it. But these scriptures, which I believe were inspired, these letters, these poems, this historical, all these different things that were inspired were written by different people in different times, right? Two different people. And so it's it's really important for us to understand this when we're reading scripture. Uh, but what I want to do first before we get going, speaking about a context, let's play a little game. How am I going to play a game this morning? Just go with me. Now, I need some crowd participation in this, but I want to do something. I'm going to bring some photos up, and each of these photos is going to be zoomed in, so you may not be able to tell what it is, but I just want to hear some answers. Tell me what you think this is. So the first one here, the first photo. What do you think that is? Anyone? Crowd participation. It's okay. Pencil shaving. A flower. What's that? Potato. I'm already getting hungry, dude. Baby's got a shepherd pie in the oven ready to go. What is it really, Rick? It's a cork. It's your cork from last night, that bottle of wine you had. Bring up the next one. What are these orange discs? Can anyone guess? Anyone? Is that, come on, no shame, even if you're wrong. What is it? Anyone? Pollen, Pollen okay, that's, that's getting close. What is it? Fungus. fungus, okay, fungus among us. What is it? It's a bell pepper. It's the seeds on a bell pepper. Isn't that awesome? You want to do another one? You're like, we'll do these the whole time. Don't even preach. Okay. Third one. What is a series of diagonal lines? Strings, guitar strings. I thought that too. What's that? You went right to jail cell. Sorry, Ed. We'll talk later about that. What else? Anyone? Vinyl record. Do those exist anymore? They still sound amazing, don't they? My dad has a whole set. He's got Led Zeppelin, all this stuff, and a record player. I'm like, that sounds so good. What is it for real, though? Pages of a book. Let's do another one. Can you identify this object? What is it? Hot pocket. All right. Someone's hungry this morning. What else? They have breakfast pockets? Muffin. What is it, Rick? Cereal flakes. How many had their cereal flakes this morning? How many were just flaky this morning? Number five, last one. Let's do one more. What is this brown flaky substance? Anyone? Dust. Okay. Anyone else? Dry bread. All right, that's called a crouton. Anyone else? Okay. All right, Rick, what is it? Yeah, 
cinnamon sticks. How many love cinnamon? Especially with like uh, dough and butter and icing. It's called a cinnamon roll. Come on. That's, that, that will cause resurrection right there. Amen. But you know, there's something about these pictures. When you see something up close, it's really hard to get the big picture, isn't it? I mean, we're looking at, we're looking at the same thing. We're looking at the actual thing. It wasn't like we swapped out the picture. But when you're up close to something, it's really hard to see the big picture unless you draw back to see the big picture. We do this with many things in life, don't we? Including our own life. Think about this. Have you ever been in the midst of, uh, let's pick a really, let's pick one nobody wants to talk about, disciplining your children, and you look like a crazy maniac, right? Now, some of you are sweet and all that, and you think, my God, if people saw me right now, right? If we take a snippet of your life, and let's take the worst snippet you can think of, and then we look at that, could we say, that's who they truly are? No. No, not at all. It's just a snippet of your life. It's the same thing with these pictures. And guess what? It's the same thing with scripture. We can draw in and, and I believe there's something beautiful about taking a scripture like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we can utilize that and apply that. But how many know there's context there? There was a lot more going on in the first century than was in the 21st century. How many have been fed the lions lately? No. But for them, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They would literally be in a lion's you know, pit, like an arena, and they would sing praise to God as they're being eaten alive. What? See, there's something different going on as we draw outward and we see the context. It's so important. But what I've seen for hundreds of years at least now is we have this tendency to pull a scripture out. Right, It's, it's uh, what they call old McDonald theology. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. So we pull it out of context and we use it to somehow fit and fashion into our own theology or man-made religion or idea. But that's not doing scripture justice. What I've found is as I've been bringing the scripture into context, it's become more beautiful than it ever has to me. Because there's so much depth. There's so much meaning within it. Now I want to talk about this idea today of God and sin. And as soon as the preacher says we're talking about sin, you're like, oh man, we're going to start to cringe. But don't cringe. Just hear me out. I believe by the end of this, you're going to see some freedom. You're going to sense some freedom in your life. Now many of us have heard, maybe we've been taught that God cannot look on sin because of his holiness and righteousness. Don't raise your hand, but anyone think about this. Have you ever heard this idea that God is so holy He's so good that he cannot even look upon sin. Now, the scriptures do tell us that God hates sin, right? In fact, I would say I hate sin. Why? Uh, because it, it's not because it scares and it weakens God. It's not like sin. I heard one guy say this. It's not like sin is God's kryptonite. Like, oh, you know, like Superman. When kryptonite, you know, is, is in the presence of Superman, he can't function. He loses his power. God doesn't lose his power when he's in the presence of sin, but why does God hate sin? Because it affects his creation. And guess what? You and I are part of the creation. See, I found in my life that, and this is the other thing we have to see, kind of another side note. I like to do side notes sometimes. So maybe I'll go over here and do a side note. But we have to understand, too, that when we look in Scripture, sometimes things are made in a plural sense that shouldn't be. 
Because the word hamartia, sin, in the Greek, hamartia is actually capital S, sin. And it speaks to who you think you are. Sins, the things that we do that are out of character, that are out of line with how God has made us, that's just uh, an outflow of capital S, sin, hamartia, which literally means this, to operate outside of your God-given identity. You know, think about this. It bothers God when we're trying to be something that we're not because he's made us for such much better things, so much better things. Amen? You know, this God tells us this, that sin leads to death. Now, this may not be physical death immediately, but maybe it's death to a relationship. Maybe it's death to, you know, a job. I mean, if you steal on a job, there's a good chance you might lose that job. There's, there's a reason that we choose to follow Holy Spirit in what we do, because sin leads to death. And think about this. God is light, God is life, and God is love. I really believe that his heart for us is to experience the abundant life. In John 10.10, Jesus made this beautiful statement. He says, I have come. I, Jesus, God in flesh, have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. I love one translation. It says, I came came so you could have and enjoy life in abundance to the full till it overflows. You know what I love about that? He wants your life to be so good that it spills over into the lives of others. Because life isn't just about us, is it? It's so important that we understand that. But we have to understand that, you know, even Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, a second letter to the church in Corinth, he says this. He said that God was in Christ. Say, God was in Christ. Say it again. God was in Christ. This is a big revelation for us, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and get this, not counting their trespasses. We could say sins, their falling away, their slips, their falls, their their missteps, not counting their trespasses against them. And then it goes on to say, and he has committed to us, say me, the word of reconciliation. See, we have to get past this place where we think that God can't stand us and can't be around us because we're such bad people. Listen, if you struggle with addiction, if you're doing things that you know are out of character, not who you are, me telling you how bad you are and how you don't measure up is not going to change you one bit. I might be able to fear you into something, right? Oh, man, I, I better or else. Well, how about this? What if I tell you who you truly are? In Christ, who you truly are as a beloved child of God. See, it makes all the difference in the world. This is how we approach things at Faith City. I believe this is the true gospel. Now, again, you can agree to disagree with me. That's fine. Listen, we're all at different phases of the journey, and in two years, I might believe something a little bit different. Hopefully, I will continue to grow. How about you? But I see this God who is light and life and love. He's not holding or counting our trespasses, our sins, our falling away, our missteps against us. And he even says, I have reconciled you to myself. I've done the work. Now say this word, preach this word. Let others know that they've been reconciled as well. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. So here's the thing. If this statement is true, that God is not holding our sin against us, then why can't he even look on sin? Let's get into this today. Now, when we study the scriptures, 
And what we find, this is really interesting, is that there's only one passage, say one. There's only one passage that comes close to saying this, that God can't look upon sin. And it's in the book of Habakkuk. Say Habakkuk. Say that like five times really fast. These Old Testament names, man. But I want to give us some context, which of course, it makes sense, right? The message, the whole series is out of context. You have this prophet, Habakkuk, and he's having some issues with God. Do you know one of the most beautiful things that I've learned following Jesus is that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask God questions. I used to think, man, don't don't question God. And maybe we got that from a certain denomination that said, don't question the man of God. And it got into this weird power struggle thing. Listen, I want you to question me. Now, use respect. I'll I'll use respect with you. But if if something bothers you or it comes across the wrong way, let's talk. I'd rather talk than you just leave and be mad at me. Because I'm human. I may say something wrong. I may say something you don't agree with. Let's talk it through. Listen, Jesus is the ultimate authority. I'm not. I do my best to study, to listen to the Holy Spirit. But listen, I'm just saying that the ultimate authority is Jesus. It's not Pastor Andy. We good? But the prophet here, Habakkuk, he's, he's, he's going on this rant because he just, he's had enough. Israel has been oppressed. They've been taken advantage of. I mean, they've been at war. They've been occupied. They've been murdered. And just there's this, this violence that's been coming against them. And he asks this question. He literally says, God, where are you? How many have had those moments? <laughs> you know that Jesus even had that moment on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, here's another side note. We've taken that one statement from one verse, we plucked it out, and we said, that was the moment. What was the moment, preacher? Tell me. I want to know. What was that moment? That was the moment that God turned his back on Jesus. He separated from Jesus. But you know that Jesus was literally quoting Psalm 22? In fact, some scholars believe because most rabbis, when they would start off with the first line of a psalm, which was a song, people would join in and they would repeat back and forth and would sing a song together. Some scholars believe that Jesus literally, in the most pain of his life, hanging on a cross, began to sing a song. And it starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Here's the beauty. Read it all the way through. It's prophetic. It's a prophetic psalm of David. And it talks all about everything that transpired that day. It came to pass. But by the end, it says that you have never hidden your face from me. In fact, listen to this. It says, he has never let you down. Never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He has been right there listening. God never went anywhere. That could be a revelation to some of us right now. We think at that moment somehow God separated, and so we get this idea that God couldn't look upon sin, and he had to turn his face from Jesus. No, Jesus was singing a prophetic psalm, 
In fact, it gets even better. In Zechariah, this is really wild. In Zechariah, the prophet, as an oracle of God, says this, And I, Yahweh, this is God speaking, will pour out on the house of David and over those dwellings in Jerusalem a spirit of favor and supplication so that they look to me whom they have pierced through. Who was pierced through? But we could, Bruce, we could literally say God was pierced through. Here's the thing. If we believe in a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if there's, an, if there's ever a separation of that triune God, then that means part is not God any longer. How, how does that happen? It didn't. God was literally on the cross. He allowed humanity to kill him. But listen to this. God is stronger than death. And that's why today we celebrate resurrection. Amen? You're like, Pastor, that's hard. I, I still, how, how could God be in there? Well, first of all, we have to understand something. I mean, Paul even says things like this, that we've been seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. You're going, what? I thought I was here. This is spiritual stuff. This is mystery. We don't understand it all, but I choose to believe it. By faith, I believe that I am one with God, one with Christ, united. He's in me. I'm in him. Jesus said this, right? But do we believe it? But the prophet Isaiah, this is beautiful, Isaiah 53, 4. He says, however, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried, yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. Even Isaiah prophesied, knowing that we would blame God for killing Jesus, and said, you will even assume that he was afflicted and struck down by God, but the fact of the matter is God was there the whole time. So let's look at this one verse that we could take possibly and say that God could never look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13. Look at this. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot look on wickedness. Now stop right there. Think about this. I believe this is a true statement that God is pure. He's holy right? Sinless, perfect. And the prophet is saying, right, listen, God, as a human, knowing what I know about you, God, you're so perfect. You're so pure. You cannot look on evil. You cannot look on wickedness. And we could stay right there. We could stop there. We could pull that verse out and we could say, see, God can't even look up on sin. But let's keep reading. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man who is more righteous than he. This prophet wasn't happy because he wasn't doing what he thought God should do. In other words, you are way too pure. You are way too holy to look on evil and wickedness. We could say sin. And then he says, so why do you? God, why do you look upon sin? You're too pure, you're too holy. Now, I think he has a chip on his shoulder because he has other nations that are going to war against them. They're oppressing them. There's violence involved. They're being mistreated. He's like, God, I want you to take out some vengeance on our enemies. You're too pure, you're too holy. They, see, it was already us and them mentality, right? They are the ones on the outside. How can you look upon them? Because they're sinful. They're not pleasing in your sight. 
But think about this. The idea that God cannot look on sin or evil is kind of silly because if it's true, then he's blind because it's everywhere. We have people everywhere who don't know who they are. They don't realize that they're created by God to show, to reflect his image and his likeness. And so we live in this false identity, this false world. That was, that's what the gospel is all about. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. That's what Jesus said. Awaken to it. I love that the apostles use this word awaken. See, there has to be an awakening. If you don't awaken, if you don't believe, you can't benefit from what's already been done. You can't benefit from the family you belong to. Does that make sense? That's why Paul says that we go about as orphans. Orphans don't know who their family is. It's beautiful when you really start to dig into this. Also, how many here would say that you believe that Jesus and the Father are one? I do. Well, if the incarnation, God in flesh, if, if Jesus and God are one, then God looked on sin. He touched sin. Uh, he ate with sinners. Is that not what Jesus did? In fact, you know that scripture tells us that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now we hear that and we're like, man, that's so beautiful. He was a friend of those bad people. That's so great, Jesus. But this wasn't a compliment when it was written about Jesus. It was like, yeah, he's a friend to those people that we branded and labeled sinners. And Jesus came to remove the brands and remove the labels and say, listen, it's a level playing field. Just read his parables. The people who thought they were in, sometimes the people who they thought were out were in with them. And they're like, wait, this isn't right. Do you think they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff and they crucified Jesus because he was telling some sweet story about afterlife? No, he was messing with theology. He was messing with their concept and picture of God, and it got him crucified. But praise God, today we celebrate resurrected life because guess what? Death isn't stronger than God. Amen? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. So he was obviously looking on sin and it didn't weaken him. In fact, instead, he being grace abounded even more with love because where sin abounds, grace even more abounds. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Pastor, are you saying sin doesn't matter? Oh, yeah. Sin matters. When you live out a false identity, the effects are not good. It hurts, it burns, it stings, it ruins relationships, it brings death, sometimes physical death. Sin is not a good thing. Operating outside of your true identity is not a good thing. But to say that God can't even look upon sin, it isn't true. In fact, go all the way back to Genesis, this beautiful poem that the Hebrews wrote describing creation, the creation that God made. Are you familiar with Adam and Eve? You know, Adam and Eve, they made this choice. Really, in their mind, they had this idea that God was holding out on them and they could do better. They were deceived. And so it says they took and ate of the tree they weren't supposed to and they sinned. Now, let me ask you a question. When they sinned, did God run away from them? Mm -mm. 
It says that he came down in the cool of the evening to walk with them. This was a regular routine. I want to walk. I want to talk. I want relationship. I desire to have a relationship with you. Let's do this. And he didn't say, you know what? I'm not coming down tonight. He came down and says, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, again, I don't think God's blind. I don't think he was wondering where Adam was. Man, he's really good at hide and seek. I can't find him. He was saying, Adam, where are you in your thinking? Where are you in your heart right now? You stepped outside of your true identity, Adam. And then what did God do? It says that he sacrificed an animal, which, stop for a second, you're going, okay, that's barbaric. That, that's really weird. He sacrificed an animal. Yeah, but thousands of years ago, this was normal, right? They sacrificed animals. In fact, some nations sacrificed their children and human beings. And that was the one thing God said, nope, I'm drawing the line. But listen, I will acquiesce to your thinking in your way. Let's do the sacrificial system. But eventually the prophets say, as oracles of God, I'm sick and tired of your sacrifices and your ceremonies because you're not getting it. You're not operating in love. I wanted you to to understand me as the one true God, how much I love the world, and bring that to nations, and you've made it all about you, us and them. Us and the mentality. He got to a place where he's like, done. I'm done with the sacrifices. I'm done with the ceremonies. I played the game long enough. I want you to know who I am, and I want the world to know who I am because they became just like every other nation. Think about this. They were released by the grace of God from slavery. And the first thing that they did is they sang a song. And in that song, and in the words of even Moses, it was, remember who delivered you from slavery out of Egypt. Why? So you'll never forget. Why? So you'll never repeat it. And by the time Solomon comes along, it says that his terrace, the temple, And even his beautiful, lavish castle and home were built by slaves. They were slaves. They became a mighty nation. And they started to enslave people. They forgot what the Lord delivered them from. How many would say we all have a tendency to forget sometimes? So what does God do? He sacrificed an animal and he gets close enough to them, to the sinful ones, to clothe them. Why? I often say this, God didn't clothe their shame and clothe their nakedness so he could be okay and look upon them. He did it so they could feel okay with God. It was on purpose to say, listen, my calling on your life has not changed. In fact, when they left the garden, guess who went with them? God did. How do we know? Because they had two sons, right? Cain and Abel. They had more. They had a lot of kids. They were busy. But what I'm saying is Cain and Abel in the story. How many are familiar with that story? Cain killed Abel, his brother. But even in the midst of this, this murder, this very first murder, this is amazing. God gets close enough to Cain to put a finger on his forehead to mark him for protection. He protected a murderer? See, by today's standards, we're like, no, no, no. You can't do that. See, the problem with Adam and Eve is even when when God clothed them with the animal and said, listen, listen, you're okay. I'm okay with you. We're going to get through this. We're going to work through this. We need to work through changing your mind. That's why Jesus said, repent. The word repentance, metanoia. I might even do a teaching on that. I'm learning some new stuff that's really cool. But I've said this a lot. It means to change your mind. 
we need to change our mind about God, change our mind about ourselves. There's some cool stuff there. Maybe we'll do that as one of the out of the context uh, messages. But think about this. Even in the midst of all that, Adam and Eve, they did turn from God. And that's the effects of sin. See, sin brings us under fear and condemnation. And what do we do? We hide from God. But guess what? He never hides from us. He never turns his face away. He never turns his back to us. I like what one preacher says is it's like the barber chair, God. Anyone like going to the barber? The hairstylist, the salon ladies, and you're in that chair, they do that, you know, and bring you up. If you're shorter, it's okay, we're almost there. But then it turns, right? It turns really easy. But I love what he says. It's like some people see God as a, a barber shop God who is in one of those chairs. And if you're doing good and things are great, he's like, yeah, good job, son. And as soon as you screw up, he turns around in the chair. And then you repent, you grovel, you do enough good deeds, and he turns back around, okay, I'm here. Oh, you just screwed up again, and he goes back the other way just to throw you off a little bit. And then he comes back because you repented. That's not who God is. In fact, I thought about this. How could I ever disappoint God? If God knows the future and knows all, you're only disappointed if someone does something you didn't expect them to do. You're not a disappointment to God. But if you can see that even in the midst of your addiction and your struggle and your sin, that God will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, when you begin to awaken to the true identity that he's put in your heart, guess what? You'll make better decisions. You'll speak differently. You'll think differently. It's beautiful. It's so much better than trying harder to be better. How many have tried that before? It doesn't work. Willpower only lasts for so long. But if I can point to the son and daughter in you, not the sin conscious idea in you, there's a better chance that you'll be like, hmm, that's how good he's made me? That's who God has made me to be? It's absolutely beautiful. So think about this. God did look on sin. But know this, he's not counting or holding your sins against you because he took everything away thousands of years ago. The slate has been wiped clean. There's, there's this empowerment that comes by his grace that you can overcome sin, right? He gives you Holy Spirit. Man, those youth are having a blast, aren't they? Isn't that awesome? Woohoo! I love it. But I want to say this this morning, and I, some of you need to key in on this. I believe this is Holy Spirit, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget to say it perfectly. Please, please, please do not let a sin-conscious teacher or a sin-conscious leader make you feel like God has abandoned you when you've messed up and when you've missed the mark. But instead... Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in your time of need. This is scripture. This is what we're told to do. There's nothing separating us from the love of God. There's nothing separating us from the grace of God. Sure, I mean, when I mess up, I know that I messed up. I know that's not who I truly am. And am I sorry? Absolutely. I have a godly remorse, but I'm over that shame and guilt and condemnation and running away from God. I run to God and say, God, I messed up. That's not, new, that's not who I am. And he says, I know, Andrew. Listen, I love you. You're forgiven. Past, present, future, it's a done deal. But listen, we can deal with this. 
You need to awaken to who you really are. That's the gospel. So I'm going to look at one story here as we begin to bring this to a close today. And it's in Matthew chapter 9. And there's a paralyzed man that's brought to Jesus because he wants healing. And so I'm sure that, you know, he's heard of the miracle work of Jesus. He's heard the stories. And I believe it even says that he had faith. There was something stirred within his heart that said, if I can just get close enough to Jesus, I believe I can be healed. So let's pick this up in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, and they brought him, they brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a stretcher. And seeing their faith, we could even say trust, he saw their trust and what he could do. Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, what was he? Which means he couldn't what? Couldn't walk. Do you think Jesus recognized that? They brought him on a stretcher. Do you think Jesus was like, man, what's wrong with you? Get off the stretcher. I mean, the guy probably, he probably had shriveled up legs. He, he probably was identified as a paralytic. And look at this. Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, who, who had faith, who wanted to be healed. Here's what he said. Take courage, son. The little translation is child. So God in flesh is saying, you are my child. Listen to this. Identity first. And look what he says. Does he say, rise and be healed? No. He says, your sins are forgiven. That's great, Jesus. I'm paralyzed. I'd like to walk. I mean, have you ever, it's so easy to go, just read over this stuff and go, oh, that's cool. That was sweet. He forgave his sins. The guy didn't come to get his sins forgiven. He wanted to be healed. He wanted to walk again. He, he heard the stories of Jesus healing the blind and, and, and causing the lame to walk and, and casting out demons and doing all these miracles, these signs and wonders, and he wanted to be healed, right? Anyone here? could? I mean, he wanted to be healed. And Jesus said, first of all, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Look at this, verse 3. And some of the scribes, these are the religious leaders at the time, they said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. How dare he forgive sins? How dare he, get this, call him a child of God? Because you know, in this time, there was this question that would often be asked. If someone suffered with disability or some type of issue, what sin did they commit? Or what sin did their parents commit? In other words, they're sinners, they were outcasts. They, they weren't welcome to worship at temple. Why? They had a physical issue, which means they must be labeled sinner. And Jesus had the audacity to start out by saying, here's your identity. You're a child of God. Number two, your sins are forgiven. And these religious leaders said, this man is blaspheming. Look at verse four. And Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts. What does Jesus call evil? When they separate us and them. That person's a sinner. He doesn't deserve. Who do you think you are trying to forgive this man? And Jesus says, why do you think evil in your heart? In other words, this is not the heart of God. This is not the kingdom of God. You're missing the point. Then he says this, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, 
Then he said to the paralyzed man, get this, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. See, this is a powerful encounter with Jesus, with God in flesh. He says, which is easy to say, your sins are forgiven you or get up and walk. Why would Jesus, first of all, bring true identity to him and secondly, forgive him of his sin? Think about this. It's our sin that causes shame and projects this idea that God cannot look at me because I'm sinful. I'm not worthy. Without a show of hands, has anyone ever felt like that? I've had times in my life where it's like I did it again. I messed up again. And you know what? My first inclination isn't to run into the throne room of grace. It's to run away from God and say, you know what? God turned his back on me. He can't even look up on me. I'm just a horrible son. I can't even follow through. I can't keep my promises, right? Because, because I'm not a promise keeper. I went to the meeting and I even made promises and then I broke the promises. That's why I tell people, listen, let, let me take the pressure off. The, the only true promise keeper is God. With good intention, we try to make promises, but just, just stop. Just hang with God, the promise keeper, who promised he would never leave you and never forsake you. He's not going anywhere. He's right there in the midst of anything that you're going through. See, Jesus recognizes the accuser that we all have within. That accuser, that accusation that takes up headspace. And you notice how he addresses this when he prays for people? Think about this. Jesus removes any obstacle to us receiving his goodness. He removes any obstacle that we could put in the way to receive his healing virtue in our lives by saying your sins are forgiven you. In other words, don't let your sin or your missteps or missing the mark hold you in a prison. So many of us have a tendency to do this. And, and again, we come back to the idea. We think that God can't even look upon me. I'm so hideous. You know, my children, I mean, there's moments where they act out of character as far as a Baransic household is concerned. They're doing things, they're out of character. But I never in a million years think about leaving them at the curb. Mm -mm. I may be upset. I may be embarrassed because I'm a human being. I don't think God is upset or embarrassed. What he's upset at is the effects that sin has on our life. Let's take it a step further. Imagine that someone comes to your child and deceives them into doing something. They do that thing and it hurts them. Are you mad at them because they did it? Or are you mad at the person who deceived them and caused them to do it? See, when we operate outside of our character, the anger that God has is the repercussions that we have on ourselves because we operate outside of the true identity he's given us. He never hates us. He never despises us. He never turns his back on us. That's not who God is. Don't let your sin, missteps, or missing the mark hold you in a prison because within this prison, within this prison of thinking, we feel deserving of our punishment. I wonder if this guy being paralyzed it says that he had faith, but I wonder if at any point as they were going to Jesus, he started going through the different issues in his life, the different places that he's been, the different things that he's done or said. 
and thought, man, I wonder, am I really worthy of this? Maybe, maybe I deserve this punishment. But Jesus clears it up. Because see, it's in that prison of thinking that we may think we deserve the punishment, that we deserve isolation, the sickness and the shame. But Jesus pulls it all away. He first identifies him as a child of God and secondly says, your sins are forgiven you. The slate's wiped clean. Every obstacle that you can try to put in my, my way, I've moved it. Now receive my healing virtue. Receive my grace. I believe there's someone here today this is ministering to. You feel you've gone way too far. Somehow you got, you got you know, lost as far as God doesn't know where you, but God's right there with you the whole time. He's never gone anywhere. It's absolutely beautiful. Because grace came to shatter this idea, to shatter that prison. Grace came to rescue us from the slavery and the prison of sin. He wants to free us from that false identity. God wants to free us from the prison of of sin is just, and just as this paralyzed man had his arise and walk moment, we too can have ours. Look at the person next to you and say, "Arise and walk." Look at the person on the other side and say, "Arise and walk." See, I believe this that God is telling us through His death, through His life first here on earth. But then his death and his resurrection, which we are celebrating, he's saying, arise and walk in the newness of life. That's what I've been thinking about all week is, man, the slate is clean. I'm a dearly loved child. I have purpose. I have destiny. You love me. There's nothing I can do. Nothing can separate me. From the love of God, I love what Paul says. He says, neither height nor depth. I mean, he goes through a whole list, angels, evil spirits, everything. And then he says this, he says, nothing in all of creation, and I think, that's even me, can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can. But see, awakening to that truth is different than the truth actually being true. Does that make sense? I've often said this, that, you know, praying a prayer doesn't make God spring into action and do stuff. God's already done everything. And he says, okay, it's done. Oh, there's another one. He's awakening to it. Oh, oh, there it is. There it is. Yes, yes, you're my. Jesus, check this out. Another one. They're awakening. They're awakening. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Even the apostle Paul had his resurrection moment on the road to Damascus, right? He had this concept, this idea. And even in the midst of killing Christians killing Jesus' followers. Jesus shows up to show Christ in him and says, will you awaken, Paul? And Paul did. I mean, he had a radical resurrection moment. He changed everything. I mean, I mean, he went from killing followers of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus overnight when Jesus was revealed to him. It's all about awakening. Paul says this in Romans 6, 4, starting with verse 4. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too, say me too, may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, this is huge, we shall also be of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old self, that Greek word anthropos actually means person. That old person, that old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with or made powerless, is the actual translation, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is what? Freed from sin. The literal translation is acquitted. Say, I've been acquitted. See, sin's only an issue if I make it the issue. It's not who I truly am. Amen? So I, I want to say this to you guys. Arise and walk today. Arise to this true identity that God has already put into you, who you truly are. Don't let sin hold you back. In fact, sometimes we try to own it. Don't let your sin hold you back. Receive the grace of God in your life. This is what God has provided. It's not something that you do, and if you're good enough, then he'll go, okay, you're forgiven, you can have my grace. Nope, it's already done. Say, it's already done. But at some point, we have to believe and receive. And I do love the, the Greek translation of the word receive is actually take. God's saying, it's there for the taking. Will you take it? Will you stand with me? I want to pray together this morning. And I would just ask, not for a religious reason, but just sometimes we need that focus point. Maybe bow your head. Let's close our eyes. And I want you to repeat this after me. If you feel so inclined, you don't have to. But I want to pray together. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I receive your grace right now. I leave the past behind and I press on into this life that you've given me knowing that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, for the love that you demonstrated on the cross. And just as you rose again, I arise and walk into newness of life. I receive my welcome into your family today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Did you receive that this morning? It's, it's so important that we see and we understand the truth of this. Because there's so many times I would just use myself as an example that I would think I've gone too far, I've done too much. God's turned us back on me. Does he really love me anymore as if his love is earned by my good works? While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't base it on if you're good enough or not. He did it to show you the ultimate display of love. No greater love does a man have than this than to lay his life down for another. That's what the cross represents. It's an other-centered love. It's a sacrificial love. 
God will go through all lengths. That's what I love about scripture. We see God constantly pursuing humanity, constantly working his way in to damage thinking and wrong thought, thought patterns, including the idea that God can't look upon sin. Now, God hates sin, but he certainly can look upon it. Jesus sat at tables with sinners. But here's the beauty. Even the story of Zacchaeus, he's sitting at a table with a man who, who was hired by Rome to steal money, to take money, tax money. Some say the taxation was up to like 90%. We think it's bad at 28 and 35. Try 90. They were starving. They had no money. And this man was hired by the Roman government to take money as a Jew from his own people. And then it says that he took more than he was supposed to because the rest was lavished on him. And he had an encounter with Jesus, the sinner, the tax collector, Zacchaeus. Jesus said, come down from that tree. I know you're trying to scope it out, but I want to go to your house. I want to have a meal. And we don't know how long that meal took place. We don't know exactly what transpired, but all I know is this. At some point, Zacchaeus, he stood up. A changed man. He says, half of everything I have, I'm giving to the poor. And not only will I repay everything I've stolen, I'm giving back more. And Jesus makes this powerful statement. I don't know how I read this over this so many times in my life in this story, but Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. This is before a cross. This is before his death. Why? Salvation is so much more than we made it to be. The apostles say that we're working out our salvation, the safety, the preservation, the healing, the wholeness. Something happened in the life of Zacchaeus. See, when Jesus hangs out with us, it changes our heart. We need Jesus to hang out with us in the worst times of our life so we can see the truth of who we are, the real us. Amen. I get a little emotional. The love of God is that good to me. And I want you to know that you're loved. Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.